0: Amen. Well, if you got your Bible tonight, open up to Matthew 16, 18. We're really just going to be looking at one verse this evening, spending quite a bit of time on this verse. But we started a series on what is the church. In other words, our desire was to give a little bit more understanding as to what the church is all about. So when you think about the church, we need to understand two terms to the church. The first term we need to understand is the universal church all right now please understand that is not the universalist church but the universal church there's a big difference between the two if you don't know what a universalist church is it's real simple they believe everybody's going to heaven doesn't matter what they do how they live everybody's going it's a universal thing The universal church, on the other hand, what we're talking about is anybody that has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, anybody that has a relationship with Jesus Christ, is going to go to heaven. They are a part of the universal church. Now, that might just surprise you, right, when you think about that. Now, I've known a church in North Carolina that literally believed that the only ones going to heaven belong to their church. They're going to be sorely mistaken when they get to heaven one day, aren't they? I mean, you think about it. There, there is no one perfect church. There is no one church that has the mold on getting into heaven that unless you go there, that's it. We, we, guess what? I, I know this is going to shock you, but there will be some Methodists in heaven. There will be some Presbyterians in heaven. Oh, and Lord help us, there'll be some Pentecostals in heaven, right? There'll even be, you ready for this? I know this will shock you. There'll even be some Catholics in heaven. Now, can I tell you something? There'll also be some Baptists in hell. Oh, I know that just blows your mind, Right? But the universal church is the idea. Guess what? We don't all have a package deal. We—it's not like all of a sudden we get to heaven and guess what? There's only there's. It's so funny. I guess we think that heaven's going to be divided. Have you ever thought about that? You know, there's like a Baptist row and Presbyterian row and Methodist row and Pentecostal row and and we can all live in our side of heaven and as long as the Hatfields stay on their side, the McCoys will be happy, right? That's not the way heaven's going to be. The universal church is going to be filled with individuals of different races, of different denominations, of different ethnicities, of different backgrounds, of different languages. It's it's not going to be just one kind of heaven. There's not going to be separate heavens for separate people. There are walls, but they're on the outside. There's not walls within to keep people in their own little groups. That's the universal church. Now, there's also the local church. Now, it's important to be a part of a local church. Now, a lot of people say, well, it doesn't matter if I'm a part of a, of a church. Really? I always love this statement because people have made this statement. They said, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Now, I'm going to give you a shocking answer. The answer to that is they're correct. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But at the same hand, you have to go to church to be obedient. You do. God designed the church, his bride, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He designed it as the building of Christ. It's the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. He designed it for us to understand the importance of the local church. Here's the thing. In the book of Acts, whenever Paul founded churches, he found them in a city. And so guess what? If you Thessalonica, you went to the church of Thessalonica. There wasn't 1st Thessalonica, 2nd Thessalonica, and 3rd Thessalonica, Right? Isn't that interesting? They all went to one church in their city. Now, here's, here's what most people say. Then wouldn't everybody know your problems? Yeah. That's why they have what's called accountability in the church to help you when you failed in the church to pick you up, to show you the grace of God, to lead you forth, to help you in the growth of your relationship with God. The local church was important. Now, here's the problem. Long ago, we decided that when we disagreed on one little thing, we'd go out and start our own church, didn't we? Oh, oh, you don't like that doctrine? Well, that's okay, we'll just go over here and start something else. Oh, you don't like that doctrine? We'll go over and start something else. And all of a sudden, we ended up with thousands of denominations Yeah, you heard that right. Thousands. Okay, now please understand, God has been able to use the different denominations. God has been able to use all the local churches. It's so funny to me because people say, man, we have enough churches in Lebanon. Have you ever heard somebody make that statement? There are enough churches in Lebanon. Can I just tell you something? If every church was filled to capacity we still wouldn't have enough room for every person that lives in Lebanon. Still wouldn't. So guess what? It doesn't bother me if new churches start up because they may reach people that, guess what, you ready? We can't. But the local church is vastly important. We need the local church, and the local church needs to learn to work with other local churches in order to meet the needs of its community. That's what it's all about. Well, let's take a look at it tonight. We're going to look at this Matthew 16, 18. And we're going to look at three important aspects of building the church. The first thing we're going to look at is the foundation. Let's just read the whole verse, Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we want to look first at the foundation. Jesus says, and upon this rock... There's the foundation. What is the rock? There has been some confusion over what the rock is that he's speaking of here. The very first interpretation of it is he's talking to Peter and therefore Peter must be the rock. Have you ever heard that? Because Peter name, Peter's name means rock. You are Peter and upon this rock. Well, here's the only issue with saying that. Peter is not the foundation of the church. Now, there is a denomination that believes that that was what Jesus was talking about. That Peter himself would be the founding father of the early church. And because Peter would be the founding father of the early church, he therefore passed on his apostolic abilities to the next guy and the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. And and therefore, that's where the Holy Catholic Church came up with the Pope on this statement. Because Peter was, get this, the first pope. They say it was the rock, the founding of the church. And therefore, because of that, that is who we look to. And therefore, there's one guy who seems to be over the entirety of all churches, among all people, among all branches. And that if you don't abide by his rule, you better be weary. Now, that's kind of scary, isn't it? To think that one man can run the entirety of all churches? That's a scary thought, and it's not biblical. So then what could it be? What could this foundation be? What could this rock be? Well, look, he says, upon this rock. Well, we can think about it as being Christ, right? A lot of people say, well, that's real simple. Christ is the foundation of the church. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the stone which the builders rejected, and therefore the foundation of the church is Christ. Well, you can't disagree with that, right? Y'all seem uncertain, right? Y'all think I'm asking a trick question, don't you? That's what it is. No, I mean, Christ is the foundation of the church. He is the absolute essential and necessity of the church. Without Christ, the church can't function. Without Christ, we have a body with no head. What do you call that? Well, if it's wandering around, it's obviously a chicken, right? Because a chicken will flop around without its head. That's the way a lot of churches function, they function without the head, and they're just flopping around doing nothing. Cut the head of a snake off, it still slithers, right? We don't want to be that kind of snake or that kind of chicken. So the head of every church is Christ, and therefore he's the foundation of every church. Without Christ, the church can't move forward. But I'm going to also tell you, what about Peter's confession? Some people say the rock is Peter's confession. Well, let's, let's take a look at it. Jesus asked the question, verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Can it be Peter's confession is the rock? Well, the truth is it could be both because here's the truth we have to confess that jesus is the christ the son of the living god or we will never ourselves be a part of the church it is the foundation of the christian what romans 10 what 13 tells us that if we can confess with our mouth the lord jesus come on i know y'all know this one and believe in our heart that god raised him from the dead we will be saved we have to confess We have to be willing to profess the name of Jesus Christ to those that come around us. We have to be willing to tell them what Jesus Christ has done for us. He is our foundation. He is the solidifier of our eternal security. So it can be both Christ and the confession of Peter. But in truth, the confession of Peter is simply acknowledging that Christ is the foundation of the church. Not Peter. Christ. Number two, let's look at the builder. He says, and upon this rock I will build my church who builds the church can i tell you something let's let's just be honest how many of you have ever been church shopping be honest how many of you have ever been church shopping okay all right i did it when my wife and i got engaged i didn't want to go to my church that I had grown up in, it was a very traditional, drab, boring, dead service. I'm just going to be honest. My wife went to a very small, independent church where the message was the same every week. No lie. Different passage of Scripture, same message. So we both decided, hey, we're engaged. We need to go find the church for us. So we went church shopping right you know how much fun that is correct you get out there because there's got to be something better something better so you make a list of what you're looking for right well at that time we didn't have kids so we didn't care if they had a children's program we didn't have youth so we weren't concerned if it had a youth program but my wife was big in the music and so guess what she wanted she wanted a good music program i was just coming out of college had my degree in ministry And knew that I wanted to hear some good preaching, so I was looking for a good preacher. So you go into the church and you have what you're looking for, she has what she's looking for, and we go into the church, and guess what we did when we came out of church that day? We critiqued everything, right? I'd look at her and go, well, what did you think of the music? Well, to be honest with you, that was some dead worship. And she'd look at me and she'd go, well, what did you think of the preaching? And I'd be like, well, he messed up here, 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 and here. My wife goes, Man, you're awful critical. And I had, you know, when she said that, I went, Ooh, you're right, I am. But we went to like eight churches, and we finally found one where we both liked it. It had everything we were looking for. And you know what happened after we got there? Three weeks in, pastor and youth pastor resigned. Like, are you serious? And the pastor comes up to me. I'd went to lunch with him, and he come up to me and he said, "Hey, he said, man, stick it out. You just, you know, God's gonna, God's gonna move. God's gonna bless. God, you know, just, just stick it out here." I thought, okay, well, you know what? We honestly didn't come for you guys. We came because this is where we feel like God's leading us. We come in the next week. Guess what happened? All the deacons resigned. Good seeing y'all. <laughs> but you think about it. I mean, we go in with this mentality of what we want, as opposed to what God wants for us. And when we become church shoppers, we begin to look and think that God owes us something. The problem is is you ready for this? We end up in a situation where churches stop reaching sheep and trade or reaching goats and we start trading sheep Please understand what I'm saying. We have to be on the same page. And that's all of us. And our goal, our goal should be to reach the people who are in need of Jesus Christ. And get this, we can do this wherever we're at, can't we? Because it's the mission that God has called us to. He will build His church. Can I tell you something? I don't, I have always said this. I don't ever want my name on anything in church. How about you? I don't want my name on anything. You wonder why this isn't my house. It used to blow me away. I went to the church that I was at in Alabama, and the first thing I saw as I walked down, there was a plaque on a pew. Anybody got a chisel and a hammer? I was like, are you serious? I go down a little bit further. There's another plaque on a pew. The church I was at in North Carolina, there was a plaque on the piano and a plaque on the organ and a plaque by the cross in the back. I'm like, are you serious? Whose house? Could you imagine this? If I came into your house and I said, hey, if you don't mind, I'd like a paintbrush. I'm going to paint my name on your house. How many of you give me a paintbrush? then what right do we have to think we put our name on God's house? Man, he will build his church. It's in the hands of God. Now, here's the thing. We have to be a part of it. Are you ready for that? Can you believe that? God wants to use us. But the truth is, is we can only do our part. I love it. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I'm just a vessel. I'm, what is that song? I'm just a nobody. I'm just a vessel. I, I don't grow the church. I don't bring you to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5 are two of my favorite verses when I think about it. Because to be honest with you, what he says is, it's not by the wise words of men. But by the power and the spirit of God. So that your salvation is not in the wisdom of man, but in the power and the spirit of God. I can't build the church. It's always interesting to me when churches will go to pastors and go, Pastor, why isn't our church growing? I hope every pastor says this to every parishioner that ever comes up to them and says that. Well, why aren't you working? Because it takes, get this, all of us, but God gives the increase. God gives the increase. We're just supposed to do our part. Guess what? There are churches that will go through lows. There are churches that will have highs and lows. There are churches that will have difficulties. There are churches that are going to go through those issues. Why? Because, you ready for this? God designed it. Or sin came in. It happens. But God is the one who will build the church. We have to come to that recognition. I love Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Who build it? In other words, if God is not with us as we go out there to do the things that God has called us to do, if God is not with us, it will not succeed. It will not succeed. It will not go right. It will not make a difference. We will fall short every single time without God in the midst of it. We could go out here, we could plan to do every day to go out into our community and pass out food. We could plan every day to have this be a shelter for people that are in need. We could do all kinds of things like that. But if God is not in it, it's a waste. God has to be in the midst of it because God is the one who will build his church. I want you to look at the last thing, the purpose And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Just asking a very important question. What are gates for? Gates are for defense, right? To keep in what they already have. Isn't it interesting? It's not that Satan is on the attack But Christians are supposed to be on the attack. We're supposed to storm the gates of hell. Can you imagine? What do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, there's a little book at the very end of the Bible, just before the book of Revelation, that makes an interesting point in the book of Jude. It's one chapter long. Oftentimes people overlook it. They don't read it. They don't understand it. But in the book of Jude, beginning in verse 21, it says this. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Pulling them out of the fire. Let me ask you a question. If your neighbor's house was on fire, in the middle of the night, would you say, I'm not going to go over and tell them because I might offend them. I don't want to wake them up. They might be sleeping good. I I really don't want to. So, well, maybe, maybe I, oh, they didn't answer. It's not my fault if they die in the fire, right? Man, if your neighbor's house was on fire, number one, if you had their phone number, you'd probably call them, right? If you couldn't get them on the phone, you'd run over and you'd beat on the door, right? Wake up! Get up! There's a fire! In fact, you may even kick down the door and go in there and drag them out if you have to, right? Why? Because their lives are are in danger what makes it any less when we know they're going to hell that we don't kick down the doors and try to drag them out of the fire so they know jesus christ what excuses do we have well i don't want to offend them what do you think is more offensive that you let them go to hell Spurgeon said, let them walk over our dead, lying bodies as we're grabbing their heels, trying to keep them from going. Man, we got to have a passion and a hunger and a heart. He says, the gates of hell shall not prevail. In other words, Satan is afraid and he doesn't want us on his turf. He knows we have the good news. He knows we have the right message. He knows that he's in trouble and he knows that we win. So why are we afraid? Can I tell you something? When I was in high school, my freshman year, I didn't fear anybody. Nobody. You want to know why? It wasn't because I was the biggest guy in high school. In fact, I was 6 foot 112 pounds. I was scrawny. It wasn't because I was the biggest guy, but my older brother was. My brother would beat the tar out of me, but wouldn't nobody else lay a hand on me? Why? Because I knew I had a protector. I knew I had somebody that was there with me. When we go to witness, guess what? We got the greatest protector who's with us. We already have fire insurance, so we can go into the fire and not worry about being burned. And we drag them out because we have the greatest message that they have ever needed to hear. A message about their salvation. A message of the greatest love story that's ever been told to mankind. And we have that message and we have got to go. Man, I had an evangelism professor at Southeastern Seminary. His name was Danny Forshee. I'll never forget this guy. I believe with all my heart this man would have charged hell with a water pistol. I mean, I'm talking about literally... This guy witnessed to every single person he came in contact with. And it was of such that his children, it just expected him to witness to everybody. He said, one day we were driving down the street. As we were driving down the street, we passed a Buddhist mosque. He says, we passed by, my kids asked me, said, hey, daddy, what is that? And he said, oh, that's a Buddhist mosque. And his little girl said, do they know Jesus. Danny goes, no, honey, they don't. She goes, are you going to go tell them? <laughs> he said, well, honey, they're, they're probably getting ready for their services, you know, getting ready to happen right now, and, and, and uh, we got to get home. And she goes, daddy, didn't you say they didn't know Jesus? He went, yeah. She goes, are you going to go tell them? He said the conviction of God came over him at that point. He knew what he had been teaching his kids for so long. He said, I spun the car around. Here I go to the Buddhist mosque. I walk up to the front door. Sure enough, they come in all their garb. And he said, there they are standing in front of me. And he said, and I, go, and I begin, what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? And he said, and I shared the gospel with them. And I'm thinking, isn't that amazing how our children can inspire us? They can inspire us. My little girl used to do that to me all the time. We'd be at a restaurant, and we had those optical illusion cards. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They're from Living Waters Publishers. It's the thing that uh, Ray Comfort does and Kirk Cameron. And they're just little optical illusion cards, and she'd hold it up to the waiter. She'd go, which one's bigger? blue one. She'd switch them. Which one's bigger? The red one. She'd switch up. Which one's bigger? The blue one. She'd go, okay, Daddy, now your turn. She knew how to get it started. You see, the point is simply this: the purpose. The purpose that God has built the church is for us to come in here and get our reinforcements and then to go bust down the gates of hell. Man, when we come into church, it should get us excited. It should get us filled up so that we're ready. We're we're like a firefighter. We done put on our suit. We got our hose and we're charging hell and we're going to spray it down and we're going to make the flames go down and we're going to drag the people out and we're going to save them from their eternal destination. But we got to understand the gates of hell will not prevail. They will not succeed. They cannot stop us. It always blows me away when churches stop baptizing. Isn't that unbelievable? Did you know that 90% of churches are stagnant or dying? Stagnant, which means no growth. Dying means they just keep losing people. 90% of churches. Why? Because they stopped believing in the message that the gates of hell shall not prevail. You know what sickens me about those churches? is that means the pastor's not even leading somebody to Jesus. Shame on him. Shame on him. We've been looking for a position, associate pastor, and my goal is for that guy to be over evangelism. One of the questions I ask the candidates, and I ask this of the youth pastors, and I ask this, I'd ask this of the music guys, when's the last time you led somebody to Jesus? You don't know why I ask them that question? Because if they ain't telling people about Jesus, they're not winning them to Jesus, and if they're not winning them to Jesus, they're probably not telling them about Jesus. Because the Bible says that you'll reap what you sow. So I asked that question. I had one guy. He goes, "You know," uh, and this was one of the youth kids, He said, "You know, um, one of my youth leaders led somebody to Jesus last June, but I couldn't tell you when the last time was I led somebody to Jesus." That resume was gone real quick. Why? Because when you stop believing that we're not supposed to storm the gates of hell, you have no business being in ministry. But let's be honest. As Christians, if we're not storming the gates of hell, we've become disobedient to what God has called all of us to do. God has placed people in your life for that very reason. The gates of hell shall not Prevail when we storm the gates of hell, God will build his church and the foundation will support them. Building the church are you a part of doing that? Are you building up the kingdom of God? I hope so. I would simply ask you that same question I asked those candidates When was the last time you led somebody to Jesus? When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? If you can't know when the last time was for both of those questions, don't think you're building the kingdom. Don't think you're doing your part in building the church. We sow, we water, and God gives the increase.